So to be fully transparent with all of you this morning, I had every intention of preaching on a completely different text this week. When I, when I sat down to begin my sermon preparation on Monday, I had every intention of uh, preaching on 1 John chapter 1, uh, 1 and 2. But I found as I, was, as I kept going through my sermon preparation, I kept going back to this text from Luke chapter 24, Jesus on the road uh, to Emmaus with those two disciples. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out why I was so drawn to that text. So I keep working on 1 John chapter 1 and 2, figuring out what it was saying, how I would preach it to you. And yet, at the end of almost every day, I would go back to Luke chapter 24. I couldn't figure out why, and I couldn't figure out why until finally, uh, it was about Thursday, it hit me square between the eyes. I, I kept coming back to it because God was confronting me with a super uncomfortable truth about my own heart. I mean, and that's the thing that God does with his word, isn't it? God likes to confront us with things, with truths that we don't want to hear, that we don't like to have him say to us, and yet that are so vital for our faith. God kept confronting me with this truth because he, he recognized that I needed this to, well, to do what John was telling me all along in 1 John 1 and 2, to continue to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so then came this sermon from Luke chapter 24. And that uncomfortable truth that, God kept confronting me with, it was one I think we all struggle with. It's the slowness of my own heart to believe what God has actually spoken to me, which is the exact thing that Jesus has to confront these Emmaus disciples with uh, on Easter Sunday evening. There are these two disciples, one of them is named, one named Clopas, or one named Clopas. They're walking from Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And while they're on their way talking, they are discussing all of the things that had happened over the past few days on Holy Thursday and Good Friday and then on Easter Sunday. And while they're discussing all of this, there's a, a stranger who meets them. Now, we have the blessing of being, being able to look at this from 10,000 feet and see that that stranger who joins them is Jesus, but they're kept from recognizing him. And the stranger, he asks them right away, what is it that you're talking about? And they look at this stranger like he's a complete fool. Like, have you not been in Jerusalem the last couple of days? Are you the only one who has no idea what's happened? And then they tell him what actually happened. Have you not heard about Jesus of Nazareth, this prophet who was powerful in word and deed before both God and men? Our chief priests and our rulers handed him over to, to die and to be crucified. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he would redeem Israel. I mean, you can hear it in the way that they're speaking. These men are in the throes of despair. They're despairing the loss of, some, loss of someone that they knew, someone with whom they were close. They're despairing and mourning the loss of the hope that they had. We had hoped. You know, it's that past tense. We had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Once they finish discussing all of this, uh, Jesus takes over and begins to speak with them. And do you notice what he focuses on? He doesn't focus on their despair over the loss of a friend, which he certainly could have with the message of the resurrection. He doesn't despair on how the resurrection would, would cure and give them the hope that they are actually looking for. Instead, he focuses on the thing that I needed to hear, and maybe you need to hear this week too. Their slowness to believe everything that was written in scriptures. And do you notice the bombastic way he does that? You fools! How slow you are to believe everything that is written in scriptures. 
you fools. Imagine if I would have started my sermon that way this morning. You fools. You probably would have thought it would be a, a fire and brimstone sermon, a Bible thumper, and you probably would have tuned me out for the next 15 minutes. But I, I think I'd have every right to do that because I know that I'm not alone in my slowness to believe. And no matter how confrontational and how upset that may have made the Emmaus disciples and how upset a, a, a title like that, you fool, would make us, it was completely warranted. Because these men were so slow to believe everything that the prophets had spoken about Jesus the Messiah. And when I, and maybe you this morning too, when we place our shoes in the Emmaus disciple, or place ourselves in the Emmaus disciples' shoes, I think we find ourselves struggling with that same thing, don't we, with this slowness to believe? At least I do. And I don't think I'm alone. Because when I look to the empty tomb, I wonder if it's really empty and I wonder if the critics could really be right. When I look at the cross and I look at everything that Jesus suffered there, I wonder if it, well, if it had to be that way. Or if maybe there was a, a more palatable way that my forgiveness of sins could have been one that didn't deal with all of the, the blood and the gore. And even if that is true, that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die, I wonder if all of that stuff that he did for me, could it really be for a fool like me? And like Jesus says to those disciples on the road to Emmaus, he calls out to my heart of hearts, you fool. How slow you are to believe everything as written in the scriptures. Now it's completely warranted what Jesus said to those two men. You fools, how slow you are to believe. Because these men were ones who grew up with Jewish families, which means they were rooted in the word of God. They would have grown up hearing all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to what the Messiah of God was going to do. It would have grown up hearing prophecies like the one from Zechariah 9.9 that we heard on, on Palm Sunday. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. They would have heard the prophecy that came from 2 Samuel chapter 7 that said David was going to have a king that ruled, or a descendant who would rule on a throne forever. They would have heard a prophecy like the one from Isaiah chapter 11 that talked about Jesse, who is David's father. Jesse would have a shoot that would come up out of his stump and that shoot would, would judge with righteousness and help the poor with justice, and, and this shoot would stand as a banner for his people. These men had heard everything that, that God had prophesied, that the prophets had spoken about what the Messiah was going to do, but they, they had kind of the wrong idea about what the Messiah was actually going to be. You see, through all of these prophecies, they had gotten the notion, and I whether it's right or wrong, I, I think they, it's understandable how they got there. They had gotten this notion that the Messiah, that the Savior was going to be some sort of political and militaristic king. That he was going to be a king like David and Solomon, who was, who was going to bring the people of God back into this age of prosperity, like it was under Solomon. They thought that he was going to be a king that was gracious, like a man named Cyrus the Great. Do you remember Cyrus's significance in the Old Testament? Cyrus was the, the king of Persia who let the Israelites or the people of God go back to their homeland after being in captivity in Babylon. They thought maybe he would be a powerful king like Alexander the Great, who, although not listed in scripture, was the foremost and most powerful conqueror that history had seen up until that point. So they had thought that the Messiah, 
when they looked at Jesus, would be a king like David and Solomon, would be a king like Cyrus and Alexander, and then Good Friday happens. And the one in whom they had placed all of their hope for the redemption of Israel, it died. And it died in a way that they didn't think it should have. Because this king, he didn't put up a fight. This king, he didn't shout out in anger or say that I'm innocent. He just simply and willingly allowed himself to be crucified and die. And what kind of Messiah for the people of God goes like that? But that's kind of the point, isn't it? The point of all of those prophecies that God had spoken to his people, that the king, the Messiah, was going to be different. He was going to be a true and better Solomon. He was going to be far greater than Alexander and Cyrus the Great, those pagan kings. He was going to be a king who not only would, but needed to willingly suffer and die to win for them redemption. And so Jesus says, how foolish, how slow you are to believe everything that was written in scriptures about the Messiah. And Jesus had to show them this point that the Messiah was going to be different and that he needed to be different. And did you catch how he did that with those Emmaus disciples? Took him back to the word. Starting with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained how everything was, everything that he went through was necessary and that it happened for a specific purpose. I mean, that's absolutely incredible what Jesus does for them. He opens up the scriptures to them to show them that everything that happened happened according to a purpose to win for the people of God a redemption that is real, a redemption that lasts, a buying back from all of your sin. He opens up the scriptures and he does so and preaches Christ only from where? Only from the Old Testament. That's the only thing that they had. I want you to think about that. When Jesus explains everything and addresses their slowness to believe and ours. He only does so through the Old Testament with these Emmaus disciples. But you and I have the blessing of having more than what those Emmaus disciples did, don't we? We've got both the Old and the New Testament. We have everything necessary to know who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us. And it's not just that we have it, but it is more accessible to us than it ever has been in the history of the world. We have the Word of God on apps and online and in podcasts and in sermon videos and in hard copies and on our Kindles. It is more accessible than it ever has been before. And this is an incredible blessing to us that the truth of God is given to us in so many different ways and so many different forms through his word. And so since that is true, since we not only have more than the Emmaus disciples did, but we have the word of God so accessible, I think the question needs to be asked, Are you quick to believe everything that God has spoken to you in those scriptures? Or maybe let me put it a little more frankly from my heart and maybe for yours too. Or are you a fool who is slow to believe, slow to believe what God has spoken to you through the scriptures? It stings a little bit to be called a fool, doesn't it? It stings a little bit to be confronted with uncomfortable truths in the word of God. That's how I felt, and I think why I kept coming back to this text in Luke chapter 24. But the marvelous thing about the word of God is it doesn't just confront you and convict you with uncomfortable truths, but with that same uncomfortable truth, he also heals you and shows you the importance of why he just did what he did. And he does this right here in this text and shows us what that is by 
by what he did for those Emmaus disciples. See, on that road, Jesus opened up the scriptures for them. And by opening up the scriptures, he removed what from their, from their hearts? He removed their slowness to believe. And with their slowness to believe gone, now they no longer had to stand with their heads down and say, we had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Now these two Emmaus disciples could stand confidently and say, we know that he redeemed Israel. Because now with the scriptures open, they understood. They understood what this redemption, what this buying back of the people of God actually meant. It wasn't buying them back from a world power. It wasn't buying them back to live in some sort of earthly kingdom with, a, with an earthly king to dwell in safety. This buying back, this redemption had far greater ramifications. And the only thing, the only way that they could know this, what this redemption actually was, was to have scripture open for them. Was to have Jesus point to them explicitly and say, this is what this means. That Jesus of Nazareth came into this world to buy you back from your sin. And because he is this victorious Messiah who conquered sin, death, and the devil, it means that you have safety not in this life. You have peace not in this life. You have a kingdom not in this life. But you have all of that promised for you for, you for the next. That you have peace and are at one with your God. All because of what Jesus of Nazareth did. After Jesus removed their, their slowness to believe and opened, by opening up the scriptures to them, they finally reached the, their destination. They finally reached Emmaus. And Jesus was going to continue on his way. But the, these two disciples, they urged him to stay because it was evening and the day was almost over. They all gather around a table and Jesus takes bread. And he gives thanks and he breaks it and hands it to them. And what happens? Their eyes are opened, and they recognize who it is that has been talking to them all along, Jesus of Nazareth, the victorious Messiah. And then he disappears. He leaves their sight. But their reaction is quite incredible. Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke with us on the road and opened scriptures to us? What caused their hearts to burn? I mean, they say it right away at the end, the scriptures being open to them. This is what happens when that slowness to believe is removed from your heart and God, God enables you to believe in all of the things that, that he speaks to you in his word. He fills your heart with this burning fervor for the good news of the gospel, just like he did for those Emmaus disciples. This is the same exact thing that God does for my heart and for your heart. And he does it all through your word. And it is only through the word that our slowness to believe can be removed, and it is through the word that God implants in your heart this burning fervor for the gospel, this deep-seated belief in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And I want you to be reminded of what it is that Scripture says this morning about Jesus of Nazareth. That Jesus of Nazareth is the descendant of Eve who came into this world to cru and crushed the head of Satan. He did it all for you. Believe that. Jesus of Nazareth is the scapegoat upon whose head was confessed all of your sins and was whisked away into the desert to die. He did that all for you. Believe that. Jesus of Nazareth is true God from eternity, but was born of a woman, born under law, to buy you back, to win for you a forgiveness of sins that lasts, 
to give to you peace before God and to promise you eternal life. Believe that. And the only way that you can believe it is by having scripture open for you. This actually has huge implications for you when you understand that the word of God is the only thing that can do that. Because that makes the word of God not only, not only the most powerful thing that you possess in this life, but also the most important possession in this life. And through this account, Jesus, he encourages each and every one of us to spend as much time as we can and to take every opportunity that we can to read and to hear and to learn and to digest the word of God. Because it is in the word of God that God grants you victory over your slowness to believe. It is through the word of God that he plants a faith in your heart that believes everything that the prophets, that the scriptures have spoken about him. It is the word of God that was written through for the explicit purpose that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, life that never ends. Amen.